Hey, this is Sober Chicks Recovery. I'm Lisa. Again, I'm Julie. All right, so you just threw out a, a great topic, which was... What is the biggest mistake you've ever made in your sobriety? And my eyes rolled back into my head and I thought, oh my God, I've made so many. I have two that come to mind. All right, so go. What's the first one? So the first one, uh, without a doubt, hands down, is the fact that I had an affair in recovery. It was months before I became separated, um, but that wasn't the reason for my separation. He actually didn't know and doesn't know to this day, so I hope he's not listening. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, uh, that was the biggest mistake for me because I was in direct violation of the spiritual principles that I had been taught in the program. Um, it was a violation against myself as a woman. It was a violation against the vows that I took with my husband. It was also a violation of another woman and her family. And the things that I have learned since then is I have a better moral code and I'm not judging others that engage in affairs because I understand why. But just because I understand why I did it, which was um, extreme loneliness um, and just wanting to connect with someone, wanting to feel desired, wanting to feel loved, cared for, a priority, just because I know why I did it, it doesn't mean it was right. So I would definitely say that that was the biggest mistake that I ever made in my recovery. Okay. Um, I'm going to say that um, the biggest mistake I ever made in recovery is has to do with a bunch of different things. One is um, being dishonest um, to my sponsor and to myself. Uh, so I started to keep things from my sponsor and I started to lie. Um, and I went against uh, my sponsor's advice. I was um, dating a woman who was not in sobriety and she was definitely not sober. She was probably cross-addicted, and it was a very tumultuous relationship. And at one month in, I knew this, but I chose to stay in the relationship because I uh, was afraid of being alone. And it's, it relates exactly to the podcast that we talked about, well, the reasons why not to date in that first year. Because mm. I think I was maybe six months sober when I started this relationship. And I'm like, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about, my sponsor. I can date. I'm totally ready for this. But I hadn't done any self-work. Um, I didn't know what I brought to a relationship. And, uh, and he wasn't telling me what to do. He was just saying, I don't know if it's a good idea. Um, but so then I did it. I went ahead with my plan. Thought I knew best. And, um, and things just continued to get worse and worse until the point where I was reaching um, insanity. And in order to cope with that insanity, instead of owning up, taking responsibility for my actions, ending the relationship and coming clean with my sponsor that, you know, this was a horrible mistake and you were right all along, I thought, I'll just smoke marijuana. That'll make everything better. What a genius idea. Because... <laughs> I'm an alcoholic, so I can smoke a little weed. So, and that's when I learned about the marijuana maintenance program, which is a joke. It's not actually a suggested program of action. It's a program of non-action and uh, sedation. <laughs> um, Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. And it was, and it's funny because um, I got to the point where I started to, you know, I was like an occasional joint smoker to a daily I started to use weed alcoholically. 
and it was my my program of recovery and I stopped talking to my sponsor I stopped going to meetings I put my relationship as shitty as it was ahead of AA and my whole recovery and everything went to shit so that would say my biggest my biggest mistake yeah that reminds me of that little quip that we hear whatever you put in front of your sobriety you will lose so as long as I keep my recovery first, then I can keep my relationship, I can keep my job, I can keep whatever. Mm. Relationship with my kids, my health. But the second I put something before it, I'm going to lose it. Yeah. And that's not the first time I remember when my other relationship when I first got into recovery and I got back into that relationship three months sober. Um, about a year in, my, my partner started to question why I still needed to go to those meetings and started to get jealous of AA. I think. Sorry, I got a Charlie horse in my foot, <laughs> and I had to stop the podcast. I think I'm better now. She leapt up like a superhero <laughs> and stopped the whole podcast with a flick of her wrist. <laughs> so, um, yes, I. So then I put my partner's needs ahead of my own, and that's when I learned about codependent relationships. Mm. Um, so maybe that wasn't the biggest mistake maybe it was a learning a learning moment but again it, the mistake was putting something or someone ahead of my recovery and what a lot of people who aren't in recovery don't get is that first things first i need to put aa first i need to put my recovery first nothing else matters and that's not being selfish or self-centered it's owning the fact that i have an addiction and if i don't recognize that and own it and guard that with my life then I can lose everything else that I love, including the people and relationships and jobs, etc. It's funny because so many of us have no problems putting very unhealthy things as a, the biggest priority in our life. And then when it comes to recovery and we're asked to do the same thing, it's like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> like the beautiful messiness of the alcoholic brain and the ego of the mm. alcoholic is quite a baffling thing. Yeah. Did you have another one or was that it? My, well, I have another one, which is not as big, but it's definitely one that springs to mind. And it was erroneously making judgment upon a member of the fellowship as a result of other members of the fellowship coming and telling me about this person. So completely breaking the anonymity code. Mm -hmm. Now, what I will say is I was very new in recovery and it happened to be my sponsor and my grand sponsor that told me those things. Oh. And the way they put it was that I should stop talking to this person because it was not good for my sobriety. And something inside me was like not cool with it, but I was like, I'm new, so I'm going to listen to these people. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't talk to this person who is actually a very dear friend of mine now for, uh, I don't know what it was, like a year. I didn't answer their texts. I didn't reach out. I didn't respond. And the moment I saw that person at a meeting, I knew the second I made eye contact with them that I was horribly, horribly wrong. And I told this person what I had been told and apologized and cried. And this person was very gracious and just welcomed me back with loving arms and was like, well, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> And I realized then to not base my feelings or thoughts or relationship on someone unless it's a direct experience of that person. It's interesting, Julie, because just hearing you tell that story, all of a sudden I had this little twinge of like, oh, I've sort of given advice like that to a sponsee. But let me clarify, I think it is different. So I would say that there are exceptions to that rule, like definite, um, don't listen to vicious gossip and 
do make, you know, judgments on people based on your own experience. And I mean, try not to judge people at all is a good code. Um, but I have suggested to sponsees who are struggling with their recovery in their first few months of sobriety, if they're hanging out with a crowd that is constantly relapsing and not staying sober or, um, you know, lying in, in sobriety, going up and getting their two month, three month chip, but everybody knows that they've been drinking. Um, maybe you want to only meet those people at meetings. Mm. Uh, I've had a number of situations where sponsees have been put in precarious, put themselves in precarious positions by saying, oh, so-and-so called me, but I know they were drunk and they wanted me to go and meet them outside for coffee. And I'm like, I'm not suggesting that you abandon them. The you know, the pledge is, the responsibility pledge is that we want the hand of AA to always be there, but you can do it in a safe way. You can say, I'd love to meet with you. Let's meet at the meeting. And then you're in a safe place. Um, and I don't think that's being judgmental. I think that's helping a newcomer learn how to set boundaries and put their sobriety and AA first. And that's the clarification I would make. I totally agree with that because this definitely, what I was told definitely had an air of like gossip and uh, it was it didn't come from a good place and it had to do with someone's personal life and nothing to do with uh, how they were operating within their sobriety. Um, and in that vein, I too have warned people about others in the program. Um, there was a man in a group that preyed on newcomer women. So who it was guaranteed whatever woman went up for a chip, he was on them at the end of the meeting. And I was attacked by him um, or I should say he abused uh, my phone number in the in the text that he would send me. He also did it to a friend of mine. I would love to name him, but I won't. <laughs> and so I thought it was my responsibility as a woman with a little bit of sobriety to warn other women against his wily ways. So I definitely think the two instances we talked about now are exceptions to the rule. Mistakes in recovery. Because that's the cool thing, right? Like we still, life isn't perfect. Life is still messy. Um, the AA program of recovery has taught me to deal with life in all its mess and stay sober. I'm Lisa. I'm Julie. And this is Sober, sober Chicks, Chicks Recovery. recovery. Bye.